So hello everyone. I would like to welcome you all to the latest installment of H2 Tech Talk. I am your host, Lee Nichols. I'm the editor-in-chief and associate publisher of H2 Tech. Now we have a very special guest joining us today, Ted Stewart, the co-founder and vice president of product strategy at Hydrogen Optimize. We will be discussing the electrolyzer market and some of the innovative things that his company is doing within this area. So with that, I don't want to waste any time. I'd like to welcome in our special guest, Ted. How are you doing today? Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing all right. And yourself? So far, so good. Can't complain. The weather's nice, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I got two feet of snow last night. Okay, yeah, no, that's no. We don't get that here <laughs> in Houston. <so. laughs> if there's any uh, sign of, uh, you know, ice, they close the city down. So, yeah, <laughs> can't imagine it. Uh, now, now, before we get started um, into uh, the discussion we're going to have on, on, on some electrolyzer technology, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about Hydrogen Optimize and your role with the company? I would love to. Uh, so Hydrogen Optimize, we're an electrolyzer OEM. Uh, we make and sell um, innovative high current uh, unipolar water electrolyzers. Uh, back of the book on what an electrolyzer is. If you're listening to this podcast, you likely already know, but it's a device that converts electricity into gases, hydrogen and oxygen particularly. Excellent. And what about your role with the company? So I am vice president of product strategy. In addition to that, I'm a co-founder of the company. In my role as vice president of product strategy, I go across our various different departments, including uh, manufacturing, technology, uh, business development, engineering, and I uh, I communicate on our product strategy. Excellent. So now I, I really want to get into some of the, the the great technology you guys are doing over there. So I, my first question in um, was regarding your your rugged cell water electrolyzer. So why was the demonstration of a 50,000 ampere rugged cell water electrolyzer an important event for your company? Well, it's a very good question. So unipolar type electrolyzers used to be extremely common. Uh, in the 1930s, it was the most common type of electrolyzers where there's dozens of plants above 100 megawatts made with unipolars in the 1930s. Uh, however, as the market went on, uh, particularly uh, for most of the time, companies that my family have been involved in have been the only vendors of unipolar type technologies. Uh, unipolar is particularly good at very high currents and, and very large power sizes. So the, the new market paradigm we're going back into. Uh, but in, in the, the market paradigm of very small systems being the order of the day, which it has been really for the past 30 years, uh, unipolar wasn't really a market option. Uh, but now that the people are talking about large-scale green hydrogen again, uh, our company has been focused on bringing a unipolar solution back into the market. Um, and th this demonstration represents the highest current water electrolysis cell demonstrated uh, since the back in the glory days of electrolysis when cells were being made in, in the hundreds of thousands of amperes. And it, and it really kickstarts a... Uh, a new pathway to get back. People talk today about getting back to the moon as how it's a big hurdle because we don't have the technology in the 1960s. It's the same thing with large scale electrolysis of the unipolar variety. We did it back in the day and this represents us getting back to where we used to be. Yeah, and I kind of want to stick with that because what in your opinion needs to be done to get to your stated goal of 100 megawatt and then a 200 megawatt electrolyzer? So our, our technology is all about uh, the amperes and the plate size. So what we demonstrated is a single cell. 
so most technologies, they have what's called a cell stack, where you have many cells stacked together in series. We have a single cell with different surface areas operating in parallel within the cell. And so when you add plates, you add more reaction surface into a single electrolysis cell instead of adding more electrolysis cells. Uh, so, so once you have that and you just hook these up externally to add a larger plant to add more voltage onto the system, you go immediately to a much higher size. So at 50,000 amps by 2,000 volts, that is 100 megawatts in a module. Uh, it's not saying that's exactly the first module we're going to do with, with this type of technology, uh, but once you have a high amperes, it's a matter of just demonstration of multiple connected in series to get to high voltage and high power. So we're from a hydrogen optimized perspective, we're going to keep demonstrating higher and higher amperage cells and working with partners to do pilot projects and uh, commercial demos of uh, higher and higher voltages, if that makes sense. No, and then, and then of course, that I'm kind of curious then is, is why are you focused on developing electrolyzers that are so large in scale and they're much larger, of course, than some of your competitors? Well, the, the, the principles of it is that uh, there, you can tell me and your audience can tell me, but every day you hear about uh, a new project being announced in the gigawatt scale. Uh, there's hundreds of gigawatts of projects announced out there. Yeah, and a true. lot of these projects <laughs> you have... Uh, you know, some of these are in 2050, but some of these are in 2030, uh, and some of them are sooner. And, and Lord knows there's many more 20 megawatts or 100 megawatt projects than there is on gigawatt projects. Uh, so we, we have a project which is focused today, could be commercialized into the 20 megawatt market, which is very almost active. We have 20 megawatt projects that are under construction or being commissioned almost on a daily basis these days. Not on a daily basis, but you hear about a new one every month and you see a new one being commissioned every month or two. Uh, and so we have a product which can go directly into that market to start, but scale up as the market scales up uh, in single large modules as opposed to needing to repeat modules. I got you. No, that totally makes sense. Um, now, so when we when we look at y'all specific technologies, I mean, what makes your electrolyzers unique versus your you know, competing products in the market? So we have a unipolar configuration. Um, and I, I discussed earlier how a unipolar is differentiated from a bipolar. Uh, whether the technology be a PEM or alkaline, uh, every other OEM on the market is a bipolar. Uh, so all the differences between PEM and bipolar I'm talking about, that, that that's the starting differences. But it has a very different way. In a single filter press, you have a single cell. In bipolar cells, you have many cells that are connected with each other. That leads to a bunch of different electrochemical properties, which results in... Uh, fast degradation while doing that, where you don't get the same degradation uh, in a unipolar cell where you only have the voltage environment of a single electrochemical cell. Uh, additionally to that, we have internal gas liquid separation and we don't require our electrolyte pumps, unlike uh, every other type of uh, bipolar and alkaline cell, um, and, and bipolar and PEM cells for that matter as well. Uh, we have internal gas liquid separation. The list of differences are quite extensive because uh, you know, a unipolar architecture is uh, is extremely different. We also do dynamic range, so you can do uh, single digit seconds to change to any load factor uh, that results in better pairing with renewables. And then what is your target market for electrolyzers? And I guess when you look at those different target markets, what gives your technologies an advantage addressing those type of market needs? Well, there's really two ways I can respond to you there. Uh, right now, our target model, our target market are, are companies who are looking to do innovative pilot projects. Uh, it, they could be for any application. 
where we're really looking for the right partners to do the initial pilot projects and are scaling up. We're ready here. We are demonstrating at 50,000 amps today, and we're looking for people who want a higher voltage, 10, 20 megawatt type project um, that we can pilot with. In the, in the long run, uh, we can go much larger, much higher scales and be more normally commercial. Um, additionally, in general, the target markets we, we go towards are the industrial type markets. You're not, there's kind of two philosophies. There's the philosophy of an industrial chemical plant where you would normally have operators operating and training in a certain way. And then you have a, a almost a bus filling station philosophy where you would hopefully have it op operate autonomously without anyone training normally operated. Um, but it's very much the industrial chemical plant, the type of thing you would expect to see at an industrial site type philosophy that we are going with. So uh, customers in the steel industry and the ammonia industry, the methanol industry, the cement industry, uh, and in fleet mobility, whether it be rail, air, um, marine, or other types of fleet mobility. Um, so in the larger scale end or, or utility industries, whether it be replacement or blending with natural gas or whether it be uh, uh, seasonal power storage, those so we, we can work with anyone from any industry, but uh, the, the short term, the focus for us is, is folks who want a pilot project. Excellent, and I want to go to the mobility section that you mentioned in there, and I'm just kind of curious when we look at transportation, in your opinion, is green hydrogen an alternative to batteries? Well, the term we use a lot at Hydrogen Optimize is uh, it, it's going to be, there's not no silver bullet to climate change. Uh, one metaphor we use is that it's, it's, it's going to take us, it's a silver or shotgun shell, not a silver bullet. There's going to be a lot of different solutions that are all going to hit different parts of the target. Uh, and, and we're one of them. And hydrogen's one of them in, the, in this mix of things with other types. Uh, so I think that there's some big advantages for fleet mobility with hydrogen. Uh, and in those areas, it's going to be the thing that's going to get it off fossil fuel. One thing I like to see about fleet mobility, uh, and even smaller to individual transit, is that electric, you have the infrastructure mostly built for you. You have the utility grid already built for you. If you scale it, you're going to need to scale that grid. But to start with a single pilot project, you don't need to build a new grid. However, with hydrogen, you need to build the equivalent of a new grid to get the hydrogen to the project. So you have the, the first a disadvantage with hydrogen, but once you do it, it's there and you can scale it and the infrastructure scales with your projects as opposed to battery where or electric where you have to scale the whole power grid uh, related to your project to scale the mass application of it. But there, there's lots of different advantages and benefits to hydrogen at different areas. I think the marine sector and, and the trucking sectors are areas where fleet mobility are going to take off before the auto sector for let's say uh, for fleet mobility. Uh, but whether you see ferries in Norway or you see trucks in Switzerland, there's more and more fleet mobility applications announced daily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. It'll be interesting to see how the market develops on that. Uh, and, and speaking of the market and commercial products, when do you when do you anticipate having a market-ready commercial product? And then when are you uh, expecting to start delivering electrolyzers to customers? Well, we're we're really looking for the right partners to do uh, pilot projects immediately. Uh, in 2022, that is, um, and uh, that's going to be a transition from customers who want pilot projects and commercial demos to a normal market-ready product. But in general, our product is not a type that you would easily find in a brochure with a standard module you can buy more of. Uh, our type of project is very much a custom chemical plant designed for your large-scale application. 
Uh, so if you're asking for one, are we going to have a proto catalog where you can have our standard specs and order the next one off of it? That isn't really in our development pathway for what our product is. It's really a custom chemical plant designed for your custom needs. Mm -hmm. and, and how about the status of your uh, manufacturing ramp up? So presently, we're I'm sitting in a building right now with two feet of snow on the ground outside of me, but in Owen Sound, Ontario, Canada. Um, You're safe though, right? You're not locked I, in. Not I, I, in I, the roads are clear. I, 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 it was one day off. It was felled yesterday, not today. <laughs> uh, so the roads are clear by now. I, I had a safe drive into work this morning, but uh, I'm all safe. But I'm sitting in a 300,000 square foot building. Uh, we're only presently occupying 45,000 square feet, but we have the right to occupy up to 200,000 square feet, uh, which would be enough to produce two gigawatts a year of production capacity. Uh, but we're only going to put in the manufacturing equipment needed to do that uh, incrementally with market demand. Uh, but we have the team of engineers today working on designing and, and optimizing that production line um, and being ready to deploy that, as well as, as a small-scale production line already installed today. Uh, so we're really manufacturing is not the bottleneck or the long lead item on being able to scale up and, and sell them to the market. We're really just looking uh, to find the right partners in the industry to do the initial pilot projects. Absolutely. Excellent. Sure. It would be what's going to drive the future adoption of green hydrogen and, and how will you position hydrogen optimized to benefit from market interests? You know, that's an extremely interesting question that I haven't thought a lot about. What's going to drive the future adoption of hydrogen? That's almost been a given uh, in the world that we've been living in, in terms of the announcements we hear and the customers we're working with. Um, the, the future adoption of green hydrogen is really driven by two or three different variables. Uh, the, the green hydrogen has competed against uh, gray hydrogen for the past 100 years, and there's been times where green hydrogen was winning the, the battle, uh, whether it be 70 years ago. What's going to drive it uh, to win over gray is, is what we're seeing right now, a combination of the technology being ready, and that's technology that's not just electrolyzers, but we're talking about wind turbines and solar panels and power production technology that's going to get power costs lower. Uh, than they ever have been before to fundamentally change the economic base and cost of green hydrogen than where it ever has been. Uh, additionally, to the fundamentals of the technology, we have a consumer appetite. We're seeing things like the European Union imposing uh, on any steel imports, they have to be green steel by a certain date. Uh, and we're seeing consumer commodity products having a second version of that commodity. Uh, you know, a zero carbon steel commodity market, which is separate than the steel commodity market. Same thing for methanol and ammonia. And it's, it's the advent of these zero carbon commodity markets is what's forcing large scale industrial users onto green hydrogen. Uh, and when it, whether it be on mobility, it, it's it's individual countries. You know, I think a, a section of the world which makes up about 80% of our GDP presently have a hydrogen strategy. So there's serious push from governments. And from the investment perspective, you're seeing companies today uh, have a big ESG focus. You have two mining companies, they make the same revenue and the same ore base. But if one has good green policies and lower carbon footprint than the others, 
you're going to see their share price soar upwards. And that other mining company is, might be get able to get the capital to buy out the one with the bad ESG policy. And uh, that's just kind of the way the world's going. So there's many different factors, whether it be from the investment world or the, the government pressures or from just the consumer and market-based changing. Uh, all these are all pressures forcing it, but at the same time, they're met with the cost base dropping, whether it be manufactured scale or actual technology like electricity becoming cheaper. That's interesting. An interesting uh, look at the market. Yeah. And, and, and with that, I, I really want to thank you for your time today, Ted. I mean, it's a very interesting discussion. Probably talk to you for a couple more hours on these type of topics. <laughs> but we'll definitely have you on again. But definitely, we really want to thank you for your time today. Uh, and of course, we really want to thank all of you for listening to another installment of H2 Tech Talk. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Well, thank you very much for having me.